Hi there, I'm Travis, and this is the Why Is That Podcast. Welcome back to the Why Is That Podcast. Today's episode represents the last episode of the first year of the Why Is That Podcast. We've officially completed 52 straight weeks of uploading an episode every two weeks. Thank you for coming along on this journey, and I look forward to starting year two with all of you next episode. Until then, I'm hoping to finish year one strong. February is a special month for history in the United States of America and Canada, as it is Black History Month. The United Kingdom, the Netherlands, and the Republic of Ireland also celebrate, but they do so in October. The AfricanAmericanAmericanHistoryMonth.gov website indicates that the month is organized to pay tribute to the generations of African Americans who struggled with adversity to achieve full citizenship in American society. The official releases for the other countries all project a similar sentiment. Black History Month, or as it has recently become known in the United States, African American History Month, is the most popular slash celebrated of the History Heritage Month celebrations. However, while it does appear to be the first, it is not the only one. Women's History Month and Irish American Heritage Month are both celebrated in March. Confederate History Month and Arab American Heritage Month are both celebrated in April. Asian Pacific American Heritage Month and Jewish American Heritage Month are both celebrated in May. National Hispanic Heritage Month and Puerto Rican Heritage Month both start their celebrations in September. LGBT History Month and Filipino American History Month are both celebrated in October. And Native American Indian Heritage Month is celebrated in November. Unlike those other History Heritage Months, Black History Month has gained rather widespread popularity, and with that popularity it has gained widespread criticism. There are annual questions about the fairness of a month dedicated to the history of one race, with detractors calling it racist. Obviously, based on our previous paragraph, we know that it is not the only one. On 60 Minutes, the actor Morgan Freeman, an outspoken opponent of the celebration, indicated he dislikes the celebration as he feels that black history is American history, and that relegating the history of his race to a single month is degrading. The better way, he says, is to stop talking about the different races and instead refer to people by their name and by extension their accomplishments. A final critique is that the way the month is presented has reduced the complex history of the various figures discussed into simplified caricatures meant for hero worship. I also anecdotally hear people complain that Black History Month was placed in February because it is the shortest month of the year. My opinion on the matter is of very little value for the purpose of today's episode. Instead, I feel in order to tackle the issues presented, it is first in everyone's best interest to understand the origin and history of Black History Month. Essentially, I want to ask why Black History Month was started and why it has developed in the celebration that it has. The celebration that would morph into the modern African American History Month was started in 1926, but before we discuss the person behind the celebration, I want to recite a poem that was published in 1969 by Dudley Randall. The poem's title is Booker T. and W.E.B. Both Booker T. Washington and W.E.B. Bois were prominent figures in the African American community. Booker T. is generally seen as the dominant figure in the community from 1890 to 1915, and Dubois became the first African-American to earn a doctorate, or Ph.D., in 1895 from Harvard University. Both of these leaders wanted to help free their fellow blacks from a subordinate role in society, but had very different philosophies for how to do so. One of the differences was in the educational field, and Dudley Randall's poem does a wonderful job of positioning the debate. Here's the poem in full. It seems to me, said Booker T., 
It shows a mighty lot of cheek to study chemistry and Greek when Mr. Charlie needs a hand to hoe the cotton on his land, and when Miss Anne looks for a cook, why stick your nose inside a book? I don't agree, said W.E.B. If I should have the drive to seek knowledge of chemistry or Greek, I'll do it. Charles and Miss can look another place for hand or cook. Some men rejoice in skill of hand and some in cultivating land, but there are others who maintain the right to cultivate the brain. It seems to me, said Booker T., that all you folks have missed the boat who shout about the right to vote and spend vain days and sleepless nights in uproar over civil rights. Just keep your mouth shut, do not grouse, but work and save and buy a house. I don't agree, said W.E.B., for what can property avail if dignity and justice fail? Unless you help to make the laws, they'll steal your house with trumped-up claws. A rope's as tight, a fire as hot, no matter how much cash you've got. Speak soft and try your little plan, but as for me, I'll be a man. It seems to me, said Booker T., I don't agree, said W.E.B. The poem highlights the two prominent views toward education within the African-American community of the early to mid-20th century. It was into this environment that our modern African-American History Month was born. It was launched as Negro History Week in 1926, and it was the brainchild of Carter G. Woodson. Carter Godwin Woodson was born on December 19, 1875, to former slaves James and Anna Eliza in New Canton, Virginia. This would place us approximately 10 years after the end of the U.S. Civil War, where slavery was abolished. His parents were poor, but they did own land, so they were better off than many others. In his early years, he was largely self-taught due to the need for him to help on the farm, but just prior to his 20th birthday, he was able to enter high school and completed the program in two years. Over the next decade and a half, he furthered his education and also worked as an educator at various schools in various roles. He enrolled in Harvard University, where he would join the first black professional fraternity, Sigma Pi Phi, but probably more importantly, earn a Ph.D. in history, thereby becoming the second African American to earn a doctorate's degree in 1912. For the remainder of his life, he would work as either an historian or an educator or both in various capacities, including as a professor and dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at Howard University. Throughout his education, the writing of his dissertation, and the early years of his career, Woodson started to notice a trend that he found disturbing. It was a realization that his people, the African American people specifically, were having their role in American history severely misrepresented or outright ignored by scholars. This misrepresentation also extended to the role that people of African descent in general had played on world history and culture. Woodson realized that there was a need for scholars like himself to research into the neglected past of African Americans and to make that research available to the world at large. A theme of Woodson's published work is that if you distort a people's history, then you will eventually distort a people's future. He wanted to make for a bright future by enlightening people about their past. In order to help combat the distortion, and as a way to shed light on this neglected area of history, Woodson and four colleagues founded the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History in 1915 with a specified mission to promote, research, preserve, interpret, and disseminate information about black life, history, and culture to the global community. In order to help this mission, Woodson and Jesse E. Moreland founded an academic journal that was published quarterly by the association titled The Journal of Negro History. Both the journal and the association still exist to this day, although they have both substituted the word Negro for African American. 
Woodson believed that learning one's history was essential to unlocking one's potential and felt that it was key to the black community's eventual ability to rise out of the widespread poverty that had overtaken much of the community. Woodson believed that learning one's history was essential to unlocking one's potential and felt that it was the key to the black community's eventual ability to rise out of the widespread poverty that had overtaken much of the community. He also believed that the education of the black people's proper place in history for both blacks and whites, along with establishing both professional and social relationships between the two, could reduce racism and encourage the eventual integration of the races. It should be remembered that Woodson lived his whole life in a world that was racially segregated under the Jim Crow laws and the separate but equal provision. In the early days of the association and the journal, it was largely Woodson alone working to advance the mission. Woodson produced, directed, wrote, organized, swept the floor, and provided most of the money for the work that went into building the association. Woodson believed that for his vision of a world that integrated the history of his people into the history of the world at large to take shape in other people's minds, that real tangible work needed to be done. He felt that actual demonstrations, even if it only amounted to an ounce of real work, was worth more than a ton of speeches and resolutions. In other words, to Woodson, actions spoke louder than words. From 1916 to 1926, Woodson tirelessly wrote and published articles in the Journal of Negro History and published the books The Education of the Negro Prior to 1861, The History of the Negro Church, The Negro in Our History, A Century of Negro Migration, Negro Orators and Their Orations, Free Negro Owners of Slaves in the United States in 1830, and The Mind of the Negro as Reflected in Letters Written During the Crisis, 1800-1860. These works, along with the quarterly journals, were largely the first serious study of African American history as a specialty. It is one of the reasons that Woodson is often called the father of black history. It was his next action, though, that cemented that legacy and is the reason we are discussing him in today's episode. Throughout Woodson's own education, the research for the works we just discussed, and his experience as an educator, Woodson came to a conclusion that the contributions of African Americans were overlooked, ignored, and even suppressed by the writers of history textbooks and the teachers who used them. In an attempt to correct this injustice, Woodson hit on an idea to help promote the spread of knowledge of the Africans' place in the history of the United States of America. His idea was to hold a celebration in which he would prepare and provide materials about the history of African Americans to school teachers and other educators throughout the United States. The goal was to provide a resource for those who might be interested in the subject and to provide a reason for educators to introduce this study. Woodson's celebration would be a week long and called Negro History Week. The first official celebration was held in 1926 and the reception that he received, while far from universal, was largely positive. Woodson and the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History chose to continue sponsoring the event on an annual basis. It was Woodson who assigned the celebration to the second week in February. Two of the most important figures in the early African American community were Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. Abraham Lincoln was the 16th President of the United States and was sometimes known as the Great Emancipator for his role in guiding the Union through the Civil War and passing the Emancipation Proclamation that jointly ended slavery in the United States of America. Lincoln was born on February 12, 1809, and thus shares a birthday with my wife, so happy birthday to you both. But more importantly, after the president's assassination, it became commonplace to celebrate Lincoln's birthday. The first known celebration was in Buffalo, New York, and organized by Julius Francis in either 1873 or 1874, but the celebrations became very important in the African community for rather obvious reasons. 
Frederick Douglass was born into slavery on February 14, 1818. Douglass would escape from slavery in Maryland aboard a train in 1838 and lived the rest of his life as a free man in the North. Douglass, though, was not simply satisfied with freedom. Oh no, he first became a licensed preacher in the Methodist Church where he would start to hone his legendary oratory skills. Over the next few years, he would join various anti-slavery coalitions and societies. In 1845, he would publish his best-known work, a biography titled Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, an American Slave. Douglass then traveled around preaching his abolitionist views and working toward a future where blacks were not only free, but held civil rights. He was not only interested in the rights of blacks, though. He was an advocate for all. In 1848, he attended the first women's rights convention, often known as the Seneca Falls Convention. At the convention, Elizabeth Cady Stanton attempted to pass a resolution asking for women's suffrage, a notion some at the convention thought went too far. Douglas stood and reportedly spoke eloquently in favor of this resolution, which is all the more telling considering that he as a black man did not have the right to vote at the time. His words helped the resolution pass. Douglas would continue to fight his whole life for equality, and he is often noted as the most influential African American of the 19th century. By 1926, both Lincoln's birthday on February 12th and Douglas's birthday on February 14th were unofficial days of celebration in the African American community. Carter G. Woodson decided to extend the celebrations to those two great men to a full week and to use that week to honor all black history. That is how he chose the second week of February as the week to celebrate Negro History Week. It was a celebration of history and it would forever honor Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. That is why we still today celebrate Black History Month in the month of February. The main purpose of Negro History Week was to make black history more accessible to educators so that they could teach their black students about their history. In 1933, Woodson published perhaps his most famous work, The Miseducation of the Negro. In the book, he outlines how the African American community had not been educated properly and makes a point that the community was educated to think of themselves as inferior. With that type of education, Woodson argues, the community would never be able to pull themselves out of that inferiority. Basically, if you spend your whole life learning how to bow, you will never learn how to stand. The book did not set out to justify the existence of Negro History Week, but I think it does make several points that brilliantly illustrates the need for such a celebration. In Chapter 9 of Miseducation, Woodson examines the African American educational system of the 1930s. He points out how the textbooks that were created for African American students purposely omitted the U.S. Constitution. The white majority who created the textbooks cited fear that inclusion of the U.S. Constitution would result in the community exerting and demanding for the rights laid out in the document. If the blacks did not know about the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments that established their civil rights, then it would be that much easier to deny them all those rights. In the South, the people who designed the curriculum were the very same people who were Civil War apologists. In the textbooks, they were able to include the narrative that slavery was a benevolent institution and that the radical abolitionists like William Lloyd Garrison and John Brown caused an unnecessary war and unnecessary bloodshed. Woodson was a trained historian and educator and believed strongly in the power of education and knowledge of the past to shape a better future. In his research, he sent a survey to the leading black college administrators to ask about any specific course offerings in the subject of African Americans. From one specific professor of a black college, he received the following reply. We do not offer here any course in Negro history, Negro literature, or race relations. 
After his examination, Woodson provided the following finding. Upon examining the recent catalogs of leading Negro colleges, one finds that invariably they give courses in ancient, medieval, and modern Europe, but they do not give such courses in ancient, medieval, and modern Africa. Woodson believed that active study of black history by all would help to reduce race tensions. If everyone knew the accomplishments of all races, then it would be a lot harder to be racist toward one race as the realization of equality would be made by examining the accomplishments of all. In that sense, Woodson and his Negro History Week were then just attempting to start a conversation and provide resources to a subject that was far too often ignored. From the first celebration in 1926 to his death in 1950, Woodson worked tirelessly on bringing recognition to this new field of study. In these early decades, the celebrations were met with a very positive reception. Schools and churches both helped to distribute the material and use it to teach the new subject matter. The State Department of Education of most states had agreed early on to inform their teachers and to assist in the distribution of the official literature associated with the event. After Woodson's death is when the celebration took on a new life. Four years after his death, in 1954, is when most scholars marked the beginning of the civil rights movement. Of course, various movements and attempts at equal rights had been ongoing since before the days of even Frederick Douglass, but the 1954 U.S. Supreme Court decision in Brown v. the Board of Education that found that public school segregation was unconstitutional started a whole new chapter in the struggle. This movement would culminate in the Civil Rights Act of 1968 and left the African American people far more equal than they had ever been in the history of the United States. The 1960s saw interest growing within and without of the African American community, and this helped the cause previously championed by Woodson that held that it was vitally important to learn and to know African American history. In February 1969, Negro History Week was being celebrated at Kent State University in Ohio, as always. Students and educators at the university came together and decided two things. One, the name of the celebration was a bit out of date. And two, a week was far too short. In 1970, Kent State would officially celebrate Black History Month for the first time. Over the next six years, the change from week-long to month-long celebrations occurred as the nation followed Kent State's example. Over the next six years, the change from week-long to month-long celebrations occurred as the nation followed Kent State's example. In 1976, President Gerald Ford decided to do something that no other president had done before him and officially recognize Black History Month as an official United States celebration. As part of Ford's recognition of the bicentennial celebration of the United States, he issued a message on the observance of Black History Month. In this message, he wrote the following. The last quarter century has finally witnessed significant strides in the full integration of black people into every area of national life. In celebrating Black History Month, we can take satisfaction from this recent progress in the realization of the ideals envisioned by our founding fathers. But even more than this, we can seize the opportunity to honor the too often neglected accomplishments of black Americans in every area of endeavor throughout our history. From that point forward, every U.S. president has issued a statement of some sort about the annual observation of the holiday. In 1986, Congress passed Public Law 99-244 to officially recognize February as National Black Afro-American History Month and called upon the President to issue proclamations calling on the people of America to observe the celebration with appropriate ceremonies and activities. 1992 appears to be the year that the celebration officially changed from Black History Month to the current African American History Month. Although both George H.W. Bush and Ronald Reagan had issued proclamations for the celebration titled Afro-American Black History Month. 
This year, 2019, the official theme for the celebration is Black Migrations. Today's episode primarily focused on the contributions of the holiday in the United States. This is due to the fact that the celebration originated in the country and was not celebrated elsewhere until 1987. By that time, the holiday was fully formed in the United States. 1987 saw the celebration spread to London, and it has since become an official celebration in the United Kingdom. However, unlike the United States, Black History Month is celebrated in October in the United Kingdom. Canada followed in 1995 with an act passed in the House of Commons that officially recognized February as Black History Month and would be used to honor black Canadians. In 2010, the city of Cork, Ireland began to celebrate Black History Month, and in 2014, the country officially recognized October as Black History Month. The Netherlands started their annual celebration in 2016 and celebrate in the month of October. However, the Netherlands celebration is called Black Achievement Month. This represents the origin and development of Black History Month into today's celebrations. It also answers the question for why we have such celebration and provides the details of the original founder's vision for the holiday. Woodson envisioned a future where black history would be fully integrated into mainstream history education. He indicated that his goal was for Negro History Week to become Negro History Year, not because he wanted educators to only teach black history year-round, but that if the educators used the materials he was providing and instead integrated the history with the already existing curriculum, there would be no need for a special standalone celebration. The criticism for the celebration we discussed at the beginning of the episode then might be better channeled from the question of why do we have this celebration to do we still need it. I think that the why it was needed is made abundantly clear by examining the environment in which it was created. The question then, do we still need it? Well, I will leave the answer to that question to you. I will say that as a whole, I think our culture does not take enough time to study history in general. A celebration that forms around studying history, any history, seems like a pretty great idea to me. Although at that point, I may be preaching to the choir, since the people who listen to a history podcast probably have spent a fair amount of time learning history. Okay, that does it for this week's episode of the Why Is That Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any feedback, you can let me know on Twitter, at WhyIsThatPod. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app, whether that is Acast, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podcast Republic, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever podcasts are streamed. Until next time, cheers.